You're listening to the Dungeons, Dragons, and Psychology Podcast. Disagree with you're just wrong. I'm just saying that I I know myself well enough that as I get more passionate about this, my volume is going to go up. (laughs) I was about to tell Rob that he might uh, want to turn me down, but apparently not for this one. Well, just so you all know, I've been recording this intro already. Uh, So, (laughs) cyclists, great. (laughs) Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Dungeons, Dragons, and Psychology Podcast. I am joined by three of my very good friends, and we all disagree on this topic that we're going to be talking about today. So Nate is here with me, Kimothy, who you've all heard a few times in the past, Jamey as well. Welcome back to the show, everyone. This is none of your first time here, so I'm glad to have you all back with me today. Hello. Yeah, awesome. So, Cyclothids, what we're going to be talking about today is the great alignment debate. Now, in the the changing of rules that has been happening in role-playing games lately there's been sort of an elimination of alignment Um, (laughs) but that's not necessarily the great alignment debate we're talking about here we're going to incorporate that but what i really meant is the people sitting around this table with me right now none of us really really agree on what is the right alignment or what is the wrong alignment there's just you'll hear it today there is a whole lot of debate that's going to be taking place, and I'm really excited about this episode because I find the ones that are a little more contentious are a little more enjoyable to listen to. I'm pretty sure that everybody's going to agree that my ideas are the best. Well, <laughs> I mean, if there was a comment session, they'd be like, oh, yeah, Jamea is right. Here's the that's thing, though. <laughs> there's not a right and a wrong Alignment. I think I disagree with that. <laughs> okay, that's fine. You can agree all you want, but there's not a right or a wrong alignment. It's what is going to work best with the party and create the enjoyable game for everybody. Okay, so let's right. let's start that as our as our stepping stone into this argument because I'm going to go ahead and say that that statement cannot be accurate. Because there are alignments that will not allow cooperation amongst the party. Correct. I agree with you 100%, which is why you start with a common ground. See, I'm, I'm yeah, I, I'm, I'm actually going to disagree with both of you. <laughs> because I think that any alignment can be played. I think there are some correct alignments and some incorrect alignments. <laughs> and that sometimes it can be very fun, especially for a sort of a short-lived, one-off kind of event. It can be very fun right. to be intentionally incorrect. Okay, I agree with okay. you, yes. And I also will go as far as saying that you can have a evil campaign, but there has to be cohesion. You have to have a party that is going to work together, despite the fact that they're all evil, for example. Uh, so... Sorry, when I said incorrect alignments and correct alignments, I was not talking good evil. I was talking chaos law. Whatever, no, okay, chaos that's fair. Beautiful. I will agree with you there. Chaos is the natural alignment for every person at the table, and mm. they just aren't willing to admit it. That is, we're not all even chaotic no. creatures. We're all chaotic, chaotic creatures. And when you when you when you try and use lawful to justify your actions that are either clearly that that could be potentially clearly evil like for example a paladin without i mean it's i mean it's it 
it's unbalancing. It's wrong. I mean, you can't play the, 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 like lawful evil and lawful good. Those don't mix in a party at all unless you're holding back. Oh, they 100% mix in a party. Here's the, here's the thing. Everyone starts neutral. You start neutral and then you make decisions based on your own morality and your backstory. So when you're talking about someone that is just going with the flow or whatever the case is, that's neutrality. That's not chaos. Just because I choose to do something chaotic from a neutral standpoint does not necessarily make me immediately chaotic. Now I made a chaotic action, but you start from a neutral space. It's interesting that you distinguish between those two, because if you actually look at the rules for alignment detection in Pathfinder, alignment detection in Pathfinder will also tell you if a good character is in the middle of participating in an evil act, that character will detect as, as evil. evil. Right. So when you say they're not being evil, yeah. they're doing evil from a good intention. I think I disagree with that. They're but being evil. Here's the question, though. Evil to who? And that's the next the next portion of the debate that well, I'm sure we There's certainly a philosophical into. argument as that can be made in any alignment as whether or not they exist as a as a figment of human construction or yada, yada, yada. But I, I do, I do have to say that you, when you brought up the point before about, you know, a lawful good and a lawful evil, sure, they're not going to get along 100%, but I absolutely believe that a lawful good and a lawful evil character are going to get along better than a lawful good and a chaotic good. Yes. Character. If everybody does exactly. exactly what they say. It's only if they have a power trip and they're like, oh, I'm lawful good. Everybody has to do what I say or I'm going to smite you. I'm lawful evil. Everybody's got to do what I say or I'm going to smite you. I mean, there's not. That's why chaos is better because there's a middle ground where everybody can fit in. There is a middle ground because a a lawful good character might agree to the laws and rules of a society because it's the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. And those are the laws. Well, the lawful evil person might fall into those same exact structures and agree with the de- the decisions of the society because the strong are in power. Right. But they can still get along just fine. They might disagree on the methods of how they go about obeying said laws. But when you have both appealing to a higher authority or whatever the case is and they're appealing to the same authority, they're still going to work together. Go ahead, Nate. See, more importantly, I was going to say that you cannot put two characters with a chaotic alignment together in a room without disagreement breaking out. Right. I disagree. I think the chaotic <laughs> is not necessarily <laughs> an case. idea. Yeah. I mean, because we play with two K. We play with well in our game. We consistently play with two chaotic characters, at least recently. And how um, and, often do they run off and do whatever else they want? But they, they run want. off together and do whatever they want. I mean, so it's they are they they push the game forward and in in most cases but, but I they, would play a chaotic good character. So you're looking at the overall good of a situation, but you're not bound so much by the restraints you, of You lawful. say they you say they push the game forward. But do they always push the game forward towards where everyone wants to go? Well, that, no, but that's right. part of the fun. That's the point. <laughs> that's, that's the flaw. The but that doesn't make it not good. Well, but, I, it, but good it for makes who? makes it less lawful. Uh, it, it makes it way more challenging for the DM. Yes, that's true. Exactly. That's and the true. other player. You have to, find, the other you have to find that balance. Well, because if, if the DM takes responsibility for trying to make sure that everybody gets to have their moment, I think chaotic characters are the biggest challenge. Yes. 
you have to find that balance between leading the game. I mean, you'd be between leading other characters and going off and doing something. I mean, that's the overall challenge. Chaotic characters are the ones that go do stuff on their own when uh-huh. everybody else is sitting around doing nothing. I disagree because there's plenty uh, there's plenty of opportunity for everyone to do their own thing, but a lot of times they're out running around looking for the chaotic characters because you've already gone off and done something. So what you're saying, Jamee, is that the chaotic characters are the ones who sabotage the game <laughs> whenever somebody wants some downtime. No. That's exactly no. what I heard come out of characters help you get to the solution <laughs> faster than somebody who is is waiting for the solution to come to them. Can what? I ask you a question, though? You just said a chaotic character comes to the solution quicker. What if the solution is actually a lawful solution and that is the quickest? Now we're going around in circles trying to find other ways to take care of a situation when we could have already have gone and taken care of it. I'm just saying. I think I think in terms of law chaos, the the true breakdown is – I think I can enjoy a chaotic character as as much as the next person. They are fun to play. It is fun to sort of just be random and do your own thing and kind of be crazy and not really be bound to the story. My problem is typically the game is a story. So you do want to be bound to the story. And chaotic characters don't consider the real life implications that they're character actions are having on the story in the game that's trying to be ran. I do think that some people handle that power better than others. Mm-hmm. But I think that that inherently uh, the chaotic alignment presents a lot of challenges I, I, to a party. I agree. I mean, I think it depends on that each, each alignment can, can be played to an extreme. And I think what, people do is they always assume that the chaotic is going to be the most extreme. And in, in, in the, in the, in the alignment, that would be like chaotic evil. I do whatever I want, whenever I want to whoever I want, regardless of the consequences, uh, as chaotic neutral or a chaotic, good character can be a, a benefit to a party and, and bring more good. I think it brings more good and more, success to the party than a lawful good character would. I'm going to mm-hmm. utterly disagree with you. And and from a DM's perspective, here's what I'm going to say about that, that I would actually rather have chaotic neutral is the worst alignment mm-hmm. ever to try to deal yes. with in the party. I would rather as a DM deal with the chaotic evil character yeah. than I mm-hmm. would with the chaotic neutral character. And here's why, because the chaotic evil character, despite his chaos has some level of predictability. Mm-hmm. They are enough of a sadist, enough of a, whatever they enjoy causing pain. They enjoy causing havoc that they become at least mildly predictable in their chaos. Right. You can trust that they will maximize the amount of harm that they are trying to do to the general populace. Well, the chaotic neutral character has no such right. constraints. And so that, that goes back to what we were talking about earlier is that it's a fundamental difference about how we like to play characters or us are in general. I like, I don't like playing a predictable character. I think a predictable character is a detriment to the game. I think from a DM's perspective, the ability to manage your story depends on being able to predict what your players are going to do. That's true. I mean, I think it does make it easier for the, and and there's a responsibility for the character who is chaotic to make sure that they're not going so far off the rails that, that they ruin the game experience for everybody else. 
I, I um, think that is a very thin line to walk. Right. And even but I people, think that that even same thing who, could be said for just about any alignment. See, I'm going to disagree because right. I think that even people who are very good, generally speaking, at walking that knife's edge are still going to fall onto the wrong side sometimes. Right. And I don't think you have that same knife's edge with any other alignment. Right. Agreed. Because there's something that's always tying you back to something else. Yeah, but you're pigeonholing yourself as a lawful, let's say you're a lawful character, you're already pigeonholed into an ideal that is a, a detriment to possibly moving forward or getting information in the game. But, I don't think but, so. But that be, that comes down to Not how the if DM you're playing handles truly it. a lawful, lawful, lawful good or lawful character. Who says that a paladin you're, has... You're, sorry, go for it. Well, if we're referring to the basic general guidelines set for alignment, right? Sure. Uh, I mean, a lawful character is like, oh, if if a lawful character to look at a an old trope, if a lawful a lawful good character would have run would have ran across Dritz, he would be he would have tried to kill him, no questions asked, because he's already got a predetermined idea in his head. That to me is not a good act to already have a predetermined idea. I, you want to rather than judge. Uh, a party or judge a situation you want to you want to look at the actions and what's going on I, I believe that you were touching on something entirely different here which is actually racism in game I, and I, I believe I that you can have a lawful good character who maybe is also racist because that isn't something they have managed to overcome yet but I also think you can have a lawful good character that isn't racist mm -hmm. agreed 100 i think that's more of a lawful neutral character no you can be the way lawful it's described good. a lawful neutral character is one that has his own precepts and he sticks to his he sticks sticks to them without wavering a lawful good character as presented in game always makes those pre-assumptions yes but even if you look at like the paladin codes there is one of them that specifically says in like unless you're dealing with outsiders or evil undead or things that cannot be redeemed. A paladin's path is always to seek redemption rather than destruction. Correct. Right. And if you look at like the old book of vile darkness, there's this great image in there of these two succubus lovers who are entwined in the throes of love with a paladin standing over them with his sword. And the caption below it reads something like a paladin must choose between honoring love and destroying mm -hmm. evil, which I think shows that there is absolutely the opportunity for a character who is lawful good to still be able to make decisions based on what is the most good or what is the right answer. Yeah, it doesn't mean you're being a little chaotic just because something's <laughs> no. evil. I have to destroy it. I right. think that's ridiculous. Right. I agree. There's old dragon magazines uh, from way back when that actually talk about some of this moral quandary of, so you are a paladin who is beholden to a King who says you must go and kill this other, uh, the people of this other nation, but that's your family. You come from that country. So what are you going to do to help them in that case? But also, uh, Jamey, the problem with your thoughts in terms of lawfulness and things like that is the paladin doesn't have to always strike in broad daylight. Yes, they tell the truth, but they can omit truth. They may not lie necessarily, but they can obscure the truth. They're still being lawful good in that case. Yeah, but, the, but deception the, is not um, omitting the truth is are they the same as are deceiving, they deceiving somebody if you're are not they? being honest with them. Are they though? Well, I mean, if, well, you if we look the at the definition debate, of telling lying the truth, by omission is still a form lying. of lying. It's still a lie. Sure. But, but I mean, if we, you're protecting we like to, somebody else, 
No, I mean we, there there are definitely shades of gray, and I will I will absolutely agree with the fact that whether you're playing a good character or an evil character, there's a, you know thousands of shades degrees. of gray in between. What I'm but what I also advocate is that law versus chaos is such a different sort of dynamic at the table that yes, you might be acting unpredictably as a chaotic character, but then you still create a predictable pattern of ruining games. And I think that is predictable in another sense in that, yes, I can do whatever I want. I can be whoever I want, but I destroy stories. And I think that's, that's my downside with chaos. I agree. I actually tend to take alignment on like a number scale. I actually think Paizo did a really good job with this in uh, first edition when they released Ultimate Combat, where they described law and chaos and good and evil on a one to nine scale. So if you're kind of in the middle, then you're neutral. But if you're like a one or a two or three, that's good. But you can be on that varying scale of good or that varying scale of lawful or whatever the case is. So then it also becomes a conversation with the GM to say, okay, I'm taking this action. What happens? Where am I on this scale? And now you actually have a number scale to say, well, I want to be a one, one. I want to be 100% true blue, good, lawful, but I'm actually like a one, three because of the decisions that I've had to make. And I think that's right. It, and that's, I agree with you on that, Kimothy. I loved the win. They, I mean, it's a little bit more management, yeah. right? To be fair, but I did love how they gave that variant. And to Rob's point, and this is why I don't play lawful characters is because every lawful character I've run into in order to be able to cooperate and for the game to continue to move forward, they have to live in that gray, which is chaotic being a chaotic lawful character. You're not living. You're not living by the law. You're saying I'm only living by the laws I like, and I sometimes there's more gray in there. So why not just well, be so, be chaotic and then decide to what laws you're going to follow anyways? Because you're doing it. Why claim? I mean, you're already making that decision. I think the difference though is that being lawful does not. That, that being lawful requires you to have a code of conduct, if you will. Right. And that code of conduct is not always going to match necessarily the actual laws of Correct. whatever country you're in. Yes. Whereas with chaos, you're not deciding how you're going to act at the beginning of the game and either following that or failing to follow it, um, depending on how you play your character. As a chaotic character, literally what you're saying is that I'm going to wait until a question arises and then I'm going to decide how I want to answer it. Exactly. Right. And what I'm saying... It gives you that flexibility to do based on the situation to be more flexible. Right. To do whatever benefits you. Or the party. Or Uh, you. Or whatever you want to do. That's the whole point. Whatever you you want to do. Right. Right. And as a GM, I will tell you that that is very hard to write a story around. There has to be some sort of cooperation to say, hey, here's a bunch of train tracks for you to follow that I have prepared or that uh, that lead you to the next space. Like think about a whodunit type thing. There's only so many times I can beat you over the head with, hey, here's a clue before you finally pick up on it. Mm-hmm. So, Jamei, I think I think that it is entirely possible to have chaotic characters who get woven tightly enough into the story and the party that you 
can mitigate most of the downsides of that randomness, but it requires you to be incredibly tightly bound to the other members of the party. If you as a character are both chaotic and do not particularly like the other members of your party, you are going to sabotage it like that. It's almost inevitable. I don't even think you as a player would necessarily try to do that. I'm just saying it's going to happen whether you mean to or not. So that character is going to do what's in their best interest most of the time. Correct. But that's so right. as a DM, getting along with a party member or going along with the story most of the time is going to be that. Unless those characters, the other members of the party, are somehow things that you, in character, don't like. Right. right. So what I'm saying is that in order to have chaotic members at your gaming table, as a DM, you have to figure out ways whether it becomes that chaotic member is maybe a family member of other members of the party, whether it's um, romantic ties, whether it's bonds of some either nation or village or whatever those bonds end up being, you have to make them before the game ever starts Mm -hmm. or you risk situations where for whatever reason you get, conflict between characters and if there is conflict between those characters and one of them is chaotic nine times out of ten it's going to cause significant disruption to the game i think the same thing about lawful characters i've seen more conflict about lawful characters deciding to do something regardless of what everybody else in the party wants to do because they feel as if it's the that's the law. We're going to follow it without question. So if then uh, then a chaotic character who's willing maybe to work with both sides of the party, depending on the uh, on on the blend of alignments that we have inside the party. So what I think that if if the conflict is uh, being generated by a lawful character whose code of conduct is different in some significant fashion from the rest of the party that creates that conflict. That, I think, can be an interesting place to touch on lightly, but can be very disruptive to the uh, adventure uh, and the overall story so that you as a DM need at the very beginning to try to figure out whether or not those codes of conduct are going to conflict. Now, on the other hand, if the conflict is coming because the lawful character is not following their code of conduct, then you need as a DM to figure out what the penalty for not following the code of conduct is. Now, if it's something like a paladin, it becomes a very easy thing. They lose their powers because their God says you're not following your code. Yoink. If it's something that is less immediately obvious in game terms, if, if the penalty becomes, um, if the penalty is not present within the character class, mm-hmm. say, that they're playing or within their feats or something like that, then you as a DM need to figure out some other method of punishing them for that, whether it becomes uh, whatever organization they think they're a part of, uh, maybe starts punishing them literally in game or kicks them out or does any of a number of other things right. to either encourage them to get back into Those line. So penalties are, can be applied to any alignment though. I mean, right. if we're talking about the difference between lawful paladin and a chaotic rogue. If the chaotic rogue goes off on his own because he's being chaotic, then it's very easy to either trim that rogue from the party or, um, but, but DMs, what am I trying to say? My experience is that most DMs 
save trimming members of the party for a very last resort. Exactly. Killing off agree. killing off members of the party. They're also very they generous with paladins as well. And and that that does sometimes happen. I will right. freely acknowledge that that mm-hmm. I I think that um paladins numerically are one of the stronger classes in the game and I think the reason for that strength is because they have built into them set up a code of conduct that can be very challenging to follow in game and I think that the mm-hmm. power is a sort of a compensation for the challenges that you know are going to be coming for that character so if you as a dm are not giving them challenges if if you are not challenging them on following that alignment then you're failing i think as a dm well and that's That's where the problem is is that with that it interrupts the it causes so much when a paladin is following their code Mm-hmm. At least in the games that we've played, mm-hmm. a large majority of the time, either half of their actions, that a lot of their actions are either being forgiven or being justified somehow, regardless of how chaotic or evil that action could be, potentially, by saying, well, my God's third paragraph on the fifth side of this side and on his bad day when he had caffeine, it justifies my actions. At, I don't I don't buy it. And in the end, if, we if it, let them get away with it. If a DM well, is letting that slide, what you have is a chaotic DM. Right. And frankly, I don't think that a chaotic character right. that is going against the law or something like that is actually uh, taken to heal enough. If they go too far, it's up to the GM to figure that out and to and dole out consequences. There. You should be consequences, which is what reigns that class in. But what if the what if the consequences for going so totally rogue become so consuming to the party that you have a really hard time progressing the story? What if the act of reining in the chaotic character is its own disruption? Well, I don't I don't disagree with that. I think it can be applied both ways, though. Sure. In my experience, it happens way more on one end than the other. Agreed. So I will say I have a couple of points to make here. Early on in my in my gaming career, I would have I would have one hundred percent been on Jamea's side of the fence. I thought the Paladin was the worst class that could ever exist, uh, pretty much because of its alignment. And I didn't want to play something that was like, oh, I have to follow these rules, I have to do all this boring stuff. And I thought it was ridiculous. But over time, I grew to love the Paladins. I grew to love the lawful alignments. Um, because I found out that those were the only alignments that let stories get finished. Yeah. And and I think just as a story as a storyteller, as a DM, I want a story that I know I can I can write the story and somewhat plan on the story following the path that I wrote. Now I know there's gonna be tangents and there's gonna be sightseeing along the way of following this path, but the problem I've always run into with chaotic characters is they're the ones that when things aren't going well for them as a as a player or as a or as a character, the they piece. can just say, I'm just going to burn the game. Yeah. Um, and that and that to me is where I started shifting my opinion about what was cohesive to telling a story. And I right. think that's that's really where I stand now. That's that's why now I'm on the side of if I want something to hold together, I want my characters to be either lawful or at least tied to each other in such a significant way that you don't feel like you can burn down the world. Right. I think that's the key is tying each other together on in a in a significant way. I don't think I think that both chaotic and lawful characters can destroy a game. It's the player 
that makes that decision. A good player is not going to intentionally derail the party so much that they are that they're going to destroy the game. But one thing I do have to disagree with, though, that you keep saying is both law and chaos can do it. it I don't agree with that in the sense that a DM can write a story that a lawful character is going to follow the plot points. But there is no story that you can write that a chaotic character needs to follow the plot points. Because they write their own. That's, that's true. I mean, it's up to the player to decide to whether they're going to participate in the party or not. And frankly, and as a chaotic character, you have to be more prepared to lose your character if you decide to make that decision to play a chaotic character. Yeah, I, I just think that if you're the sort of player who is going to play the most disruptive of chaotic characters you're probably not going to be uh, congenial about it so much out of character when you lose the character because of that. Right, And that comes with experience, but um, I mean, it's same thing is with lawful evil, a lawful evil character. I mean, we have banned evil playing evil in a lot of our campaigns because it just doesn't, work when the majority of people are going to be playing a no, I'm, I'm neutral actually, or good character I'm actually going to agree regardless with that. of whether you're lawful or I, or I, I think I think that level of intra-party conflict is difficult to manage mm-hmm. I, yes. I totally it agree. causes I will conflict give you that. that interferes with the game moving forward and I, and I will say that the only successful evil games that we've had that have come to a good conclusion and follow the story are the ones where everyone is bound to a lawful evil alignment yeah. yes it was, correct mm-hmm. way of the wicked was a great game great I, game I, I think I think there've been a, a couple that I can remember but the ones that were always the most successful were the lawful evil not mm-hmm. not the chaotic evil I think that with the right player you can have a lawful evil character and have them follow a story and have good motivation and things like that. But in my particular case, I enjoy the uh, redemption arc. So that's tends to be what I enjoy playing. I know Nate's I was assuming done. that some characters actually let you redeem yourself. Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> On the other I side. I don't know how far down that rabbit hole we want to go. No, no, that, that's a conversation for another time. But the, the fact of the matter is, is that to Rob's point, going a little further back, the best stories that I can think of and the ones that I continue to talk about are the ones where I played lawful good. Mm-hmm. They're my paladins or they're my neutral good clerics that went out with the uh, with the intention of changing the world and making it a better place. And those are the ones that I enjoy the most. See, what and I, I would agree with I... neutral good. Neutral good, I believe, is your good just to everybody. And for the most part, unless they're doing – it's the true I'm judging you by your actions alignment. Um, and and I'm just going to give my heart to everybody, wear my heart on my sleeve kind of kind of alignment. I I take some exception with the neutral good is the best good. I – I think that society works. This is both in character and out of character. I think that society works the best when you, when people take predictable actions, I think society works the best when everybody can get a decent sense of what the people around them are going to do, because it lets you choose what people you're going to spend your time with, what people you're going to deal with, because their actions are going to more closely reflect how you think people should act. I think as a society, yes, as society needs laws in order to function long term. Right. Sure. And I agree with that 100 yeah. percent. I think that gaming um, groups I'm not going to go to the level of need laws, but I think gaming groups need rules. And sometimes those rules are stated Mm -hmm. and sometimes those rules are unstated. They're, they're 
become more traditions than hard yeah. and fast like, rules. No arguing with the GM once he's made a decision. Sure, Move totally. on with the game. Absolutely. But, <laughs> exactly. but every group needs those rules. Right. And so characters who in character don't believe in those rules, don't believe they should be restrained by those rules, um, I think are the ones who test the rest of the party's willingness to tolerate breakings of the rules. Right. And I think that in, if you look at the character, as far as me is I, the point system with the alignment, I think was one of my favorite things because it allowed me not to be necessarily chaotic, but it also allowed me not to necessarily be lawful. Right. So I've always, I always am pulled to that middle ground, which is normally why I settle on chaotic good because I want to have the freedom to disobey a bad law. Um, and at the same time, I want to work for the good of the party in the community. So that's where I fall into that place. I just don't see being rigid to the law healthy at all. And that's why I don't think it's good is having a more neutral stance. Yeah. I think the biggest thing that we keep kind of circling around and I'll just come out and say it is that if consequences matter, right? When it comes down to it and you have someone that's, I'm going to go out and do whatever I want to or whatever the case is, they also need to be accepting that there might be consequences around the table. Okay, great. You know what? We're going to leave you because we know what, what we're going to go do and we've already made a decision. You're off on your own. Okay, bye. And we go. Right. But also at the the same time, going the other direction too. But there has to be consequences and they have to matter. It can't just be, okay, well, Rogue A has gone off on their own. We're just going to sit here and not do anything or we're going to follow or whatever the case is when maybe the rest of the party has already agreed on, hey, this is what we wanted to do. So let's go and do that. The the challenge, I think, with that, and, and I can appreciate the sentiment about that being the way you want to handle it. But I think the challenge with that is that, okay, the rest of the party moves on and you now have somebody out of character sitting at the table who isn't going to be doing anything while the rest of the adventure continues. And that's going to drive them even further from the group. Mm -hmm. So at that point, you may as well just say, kill the character, make something that's going to fit better with the group. Right. If you're going to, if you're going to go off on your own, you have to, it has to be within, you have to mediate that. You can't expect the whole story to tarry off in a direction that you want it to go. You have to allow for a short, while somebody else is doing something else, a short thing, and then you have to come back to the party. You have to be able to come back to the party as a character but it's it's those ties to yeah. the party that are right. going to draw you back. But so the, if you don't have chaotic strong character, enough ties for a chaotic character, the tie to the party is what's in my best interest. Is a power is in numbers. See the you know, the, but that's not always the case though. That's that's true. But I can only comment on how I play chaotic characters. The, the problem then becomes that if if that's your tie to the party, then the DM has to either accept that you are not going to be part of the party or has to create every situation so that somehow your best interest ends up coming back to the party. And as a DM, that is a shitload of work. It's hard and exhausting. Mm -hmm. And frankly, if that's the tie to the party that you're going to create, then why not just go along with what the party's going uh, with what the party's going to do initially? Why create that separation? I think that for me, sometimes because it takes the party so long to do something that is in a lot of cases so simple that I'd rather just go get it done while they're talking about it. Let's see that 
that in and of itself, I think, is ultra contentious. Sometimes that conversation is what creates the inner party personality and it's that role play i'll tell you like that i desire i love when my character gets an opportunity to learn about her party there is absolutely nothing more frustrating for me as a player as a story character that is like well i'm just following along with these people because that's what i'm doing every day for four to six hours depending on how long the game is No, I actually want a reason to be with these people. And if I don't have that opportunity to sit and have a conversation and understand why this is happening, then why am I there? Right. And and a lot of that is communication, like communicating with other party members. And And having that conversation. I'm I'm actually going to say that. But then you have those diametrically opposed ideas like no i don't like the idea that you're going to do that okay well i do like the idea well you can either you can go round and round on that or somebody can just decide to act what's the consequences if you as a chaotic character decide to act and the outcome ends up being absolutely horrific for one of the other characters do you feel bad about that as a chaotic character for having caused that or do you just view that as that the lawful character say who now has to suffer through the consequences of your actions, they're dumb for being lawful. Well, no, they're not dumb. No, <laughs> they're they're not yeah, dumb for being it. lawful. They're yeah. dumb for not being flexible. Okay, um, but that's the definition oh, of lawful. Like when you're looking at wikipedia and you're looking at the definition of what lawful is it is inflexibility but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're not willing to do something that is productive as a group but to nate's point how would that character feel if you're telling me that their primary motivation is everybody being together and doing whatever's best for them or for the party or whatever the case is how do they feel when others have to take a lashing, as it were, for their decisions. Well, and that hasn't been my experience with lawful characters. Again, my experience with lawful characters is that everybody's got to do what I want or what I require them to do. And I'll justify it by using the law. But I think, and, I think that's ex- not exactly, but it's this the opposite side of the same coin with a chaotic character. That's true. Because yes, I might follow laws, but and I might expect as a lawful character everybody to eventually come on my side because we're doing the thing that society or my code says that we should be doing. But on the other side of that coin, the entire party is still taxed with the consequences of a chaotic character's actions. Right. And I, and I, and I agree. A chaotic character can, can, can affect the whole party. A lawful character will just, if you're not going to do what I say, then I'm going to, Make your life miserable or destroy your character. But but the big difference, I think, is on there. that there's a no lawful word. character who's going to debate around the table and take a long time coming to a choice of action still comes to a point of compromise. I Whereas dis- with, I a cha- with, with a chaotic character, nobody has compromised. Only one person has done their choice and nobody else at the table had a say. I think in, in, in my experience in game, a chaotic character is more willing to compromise versus somebody who is versus a lawful good character or a lawful character. I don't think, I don't think it's like, a skill that this a chaotic is what character I'm needs to have at all. And everybody has to agree with me because we have to do it this way because I've already made up my mind and I'm stuck in this where a chaotic character is like, hey, 
you know, I'm game for just about anything, but, you know, don't tell me what Ex- to do. Except compromise. But compromise is, that's... I'm game for about anything except compromise or waiting too long if it's boring to me. Well, that's true. If it takes too long. We don't want people sitting at the mean thing. So as long as you can... the chaotic person is like, eh, okay, I'm getting a little antsy. I need to do something to get this resolved. So what you're saying is as long as you can compromise really quick, then you can compromise as a chaotic character. Quick thinkers. If you can't compromise quick enough, then fuck you all. Then that's where the chaotic... Well, not necessarily burning the house down. That's an extreme. But but it does mean that that chaotic character is going to be... I don't know if it is an extreme, though. I, I I think it's a natural... I think it's a natural continuation of taking chaotic actions and whether a, a chaotic, a person playing a chaotic character intends to or not, they do start destroying the world regardless of how well-intentioned they might be. I disagree. I think that a chaotic character can not chaotic evil. I'm going to pigeonhole that, you know, that the totally completely chaotic out of control is 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 not my game but being able to move forward and get answers i i appall sitting at a table for six hours while somebody might be in a library you know while everybody's discussing and going around and around the same questions over and over and over again never getting an answer never coming to inclusion because no one's willing to make a decision that drives me crazy outside of character and in character. But what about if Because that... it always seems to be that. It is always around and round and round and round and round the same crap. So what Kimmy, if... I have seen games get bogged down in arguing that sort of scenario. I have never seen a game destroyed by that. What I have seen is games that literally got torched to the ground by a chaotic character that there is no possibility of ever coming back to that game. Right. I think the it, when you talk about like, okay, it bogs the game down when we go to the library to figure something out. But you have to realize that that's also, in many cases, the motivation of another character. And I'm speaking from experience because my character in our current campaign was a librarian. Like that's what her f- whole field of study was. So by saying that, I'm not going to give you the time to go and research this. You're basically taking away my agency at the same time. So from someone that as a chaotic character that loves personal freedom and loves agency, you're taking it away from somebody else. And that should be anthema to your own chaotic nature. It's not just your personal freedom. It's the freedom of everybody to do what they need at the same time. So I agree with you. Yes, it is hard when you get into a slog and it's a heaven knows, like we've had hours long discussion of what we're going to do to move forward. But at the same time, part of that is the character motivation and part of it is moving things forward. It's not just a I'm going to open the next door and the next door is going to have all of the solutions for me. Sometimes it's, I need to find the Sertoritis route to get to where I need to be. But by opening that next door, you're not giving an opportunity to the other characters or the other players to have that opportunity. So I, I would agree. Agree I mean, to disagree. Every different character needs their time. For example, like in the current game with librarian or with a wizard, um, they need time to do that research I don't see where equal time is given in the game to 
each individual. So when they go do that, that's their character doing one thing. The whole game is about that. Everybody else is expected to wait for them. I think that again comes down to the GM and there's plenty of opportunities to move forward with others. When it comes to almost every other action in the game, everybody's participating. Again, though, we're not, I'm, I'm going to disagree with you actually, because characters that are um, not necessarily built for combat Right. Mm-hmm. Um, Need character, an opportunity characters, to shine. Characters who are more utilitarian, perhaps, um, or even support characters. Um, what am I trying to say? Don't hog the limelight in combat like combat heavy characters do. I think that there's something to be said about that, depending on I the entire game role playing in itself. A large majority of it is is based on combat. Every single character class, every single character class has a pl- a role to play in combat. That cannot be said about that cannot be said about other roles. A role a role I, to I, play in combat. Yes. Right. But the roles are so vastly different. Like oh, yeah. a bard's turn can simply be I start to sing and I'm that's done. they've spent their entire turn. And then a fighter two weapon fighting with seven different attacks and combat feats like cleave that keep them I mean they're going to spend 20 minutes on their turn where a bard takes 10 seconds to say I start singing. Right. For the, exactly you know. for the first round, I mean, but then you, they, they've mediated that with the bard singing, where they don't have to concentrate. I mean, it's it's a concentration. There are a but, lot of other things. But let's say do. let's say you're but playing a buffing bard, right? Even the subsequent rounds are I cast this spell on that character, right? No save required. Done. Ten seconds you, and we're done. But you're literally participating. Yes, your role is 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 substantially less flamboyant than somebody else's role sure. in, in that battle, but you are participating at the table sure. during you, that time. And you know what? Your char- your rogue character, if you wanted to participate in, say, research, could uh, maybe help run and go fetch books. Now, you as a player aren't going to be taking a big part in what's happening at the table, but maybe she, as a librarian, gets a plus two on her check to... Try to find whatever knowledge she's looking for because you're helping her look at books faster. Now, she's the one doing most of the interaction at the table, but you are part of that situation helping. But it's not, not. the same level. It's not the same level as like in, in, in terms, battle or in, in in actually moving the characters actually moving from one place to another. It's um saying I give you I aid you and give you a plus two uh-huh. and then sitting back while the next Four or five hours are about asking questions. One character, uh huh, just Be- asking questions and doing research. It's not at the same level or participation level for everybody at the table. But how is that any different from combat, which can last four or five hours with the support character simply saying, "I aid you" via mm-hmm. this spell or that spell, and then the entire focus is still on the combat character because there's more dice rolling. There's no, no, individual, no, there are individual rounds. There are individual rounds where that character is making a decision. What am I going to do this round? And whether it be a buff or an attack, or I'm going to go around this way, or I'm going to be creative with doing that. It gives them that. It gives them that option. They may not be as effective in damage, but every round they get to choose to do something, which keeps them partially engaged versus the alternative what we're talking about there's nothing to do there's there's okay. always it's in role play without without when you're deciding to do something creating that a collaborative story interfere. there's always something to do yeah, I agree. that's not burning the game 
I well, always, I, li- yes, li- there's Literally, always. the first thing that occurs to me right now is with that same research challenge, turn it into a skill challenge from fourth edition. Right. Sure. And a good DM would. And that would sure. engage everybody. If, 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 right. if this research truly is going to go on for as long as you're saying, four or five hours, then I think that becomes much more fodder for a skill challenge. Agreed. But also, I don't remember the last time research went on that long. Maybe in-character discussion afterwards, after we found out something, but I don't remember the last time research went on that long. I think more Jamee is talking about um, not necessarily the downtime components that you're focused on. It's the the table discussion that comes as a result of what we have learned or what we're trying to do next. But that's still part of... I think sometimes, and that can usually a lot of times be between one or two people, and it can be redundant and it's that redundancy that that as a as a character drives me nuts i'm just like okay you guys just said that five minute five minutes ago my, and now you're rehashing the same thing my Let's argument do something against with the that, information but my argument against that however would be that when you're taking that chaotic character and having him make an action that is changing what is happening around the table you're not acting against what's happening in the game you're acting against what's happening in real life. Right. And I think that is the problem with the chaotic character is you're taking the opportunity to say, I don't care about your guys's discussion or what you're doing with your characters. I'm going to move things along. Screw you all. And I think I that's, think, I think even as a character in game, you're not going to have a party of four where one person is sitting at a desk and everybody else sits in the lobby and does nothing because that's not, they're going to go do happening. shopping or they're going to go yeah. do other stuff sure. while they're researching. Yeah. I, I, I got to be honest, I, I am getting increasingly puzzled by this situation that you were conjuring because I, I, I'm i searching my memory and I cannot think of a single situation where that kind of downtime scenario went on for as long as you're talking. I will freely acknowledge that I participate vociferously in the <laughs> arguments about what the party should be doing. And I think that's the part where maybe it bogs down. Right. And that's the part that annoys you, but that feels like it's very different than maybe specifically what you're talking about, um, unless I'm wrong. No, I and I think to Rob's point, um, the excessive research is what I'm going to call it, tends to lead to discussions that don't come to a conclusion. I think it's still necessary. And it's that though. part that it's that part that bothers me. If we were to have a if if. I'm I'm a fan of research. I think that it leads to better um, conclusions of uh, of the adventure. Right? It leads us to where we need to go. It helps with puzzles. It helps us get information. But I, a lot of times, it ends up just being a, a, a ring around the rosy instead of okay. These are the ideas I have, and I think, this just might be why my, where my think, brain works. These I are the ideas that, that we have. This is the research we've done. We've come to this conclusion. Now, how are we going to act on that conclusion? We never tend to get to that. How are we going to act on that conclusion? I actually think I'm going to totally disagree with you because I think it's the question of how are we going to act on that conclusion? How are we going to act on this information? That's where things tend the most to get hung up. And so your distaste for the argument I think speaks more to your disagreement with how other people in the party want to handle it. And and I think that the, the, the bogging down tends to speak to the differing sort of character traits and alignment traits and 
personality traits. Even play styles. That, right. Well, play and play, and play a, styles is, is, a, is a, a huge part yeah, of it that I think kind of undergirds this whole argument. Mm-hmm. Right. But I think I think that loggerheads that we're talking about is based on the different members of the party wanting to do different things. Right. And so when a chaotic character steps in and says, screw that, I'm just going to go do, you're sort of saying that you, the rest of the character, the, the rest of the player's motivations are unimportant enough right. that screw them. And I don't think that that in my case that's the case. I think it's an I want you guys to make I want a, I want a decision. We can have four different scenarios, we can do four different decisions, but let's put that down. Let's say okay, what are we going to try this? Okay, well if we try this, this could happen. Okay, well that's one thing. Okay, well then we can try this. Okay, we we'll try this. This is going to happen. Okay, that's another thing. But we don't get to that point in a lot of cases for a very long time at the table um, where we're actually making a decision. We could try this specifically. Where would that take us? We could try this specifically. Where would they taste this? It's all just debating back and forth without actually laying down some concrete plans. I'm fine with multiple concrete plans being laid down, but we have to make a decision in what I would prefer a timely manner sure. to try one of those things. Is there some way you think that you in character could help encourage that decision making rather than taking the chaotic action and going off? I I mean, I'm not saying there isn't. I mean, it depends on the scenario. I mean, obviously on there, whether that whether that is a, 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 a welcome opinion at well, the time, because, you know. Well, it, it, it seems it, it seems to me that if in if, character, because in character, whether that whether the person doing or leading the discussion is open to other people saying, hey, OK, I like that. Let's do that. OK, or and, let's and, try that. And that's a pl- sure. versus that's, no, let's continue to discuss it. Sure, sure. And, and I think that's a play style thing. But it sounds to me that rather than coming to an actual conclusion of what the party should do, mm-hmm. it feels like you want a style of argument that is. If we take this concrete action, it leads to this result. Is that something or or it leads to this challenge? Is that something? Is that a challenge we want to try to take on? Right. Or do we so, decide so, not to do that and do a different route? Sure, sure. And it just seems to me that if if the argument does end up devolving, which it certainly can into a rather circular sort of argument, um, that maybe what is way more helpful than going off is to put to the party. So if we take this action, what's the challenge we're going to face? Right. Right. And and to try and to so guide finding that middle ground where a chaotic character doesn't just go as you said, burn the house down, right? Can blow it off. Sure. Um, because as a character, character, I tend to do my research by doing. Yeah. The problem right? by which, researching which, by doing is that you end up with consequences that right. you can't take back. And that's true. That's true. That's, and that's the dichotomy of a, hmm. of a chaotic character. It may get answers faster, but they're not always the answers we want. And it can cause problems. Correct. Versus we could also say, hey, you know what? Let's maybe be a little bit more pointed when we get to that point in game to to find maybe an answer a little bit faster. So I- the chaotic character or the characters that are not necessarily the primary researcher, which is the person with the most intelligent, and they have that role, and that's an important role in the game. I think it should be developed and nurtured. I- um, I really think that what we're talking about in. is is not research, but 
conclusions, Conclu- right. yes. a- actions. Right. And, and what I'm saying is that I think most of the time, from my experience, is that it tends to devolve when two different players want to take very different actions. We'll want to research in very different ways, we'll, well say. Not, not even the research, I, but I think actually there is a, just the... I think there is a significant... Um, qualitative difference between researching something in a, if we do this, then this is the challenge we're going to face. And let's go do this and see what challenge we face. Exactly. Those are two very different things and they do not both qualify as research. I don't know. No, no, they do not. Rolling a diplomacy check to gather information is an action based research. Okay, sure. Going to a library and reading a book about what, what about that same information that you received is potentially an action-based okay, but research. That's, but no, those are two different actions. They're both Yeah, research. but that's not really what we're talking about, is no. it? Because we're talking about once you get the information, whatever, whatever what tidbit. What do you do with it? Whatever tidbit that the DM gives you. And now the party argues about what the next action they should take is. Right. right. That's where it devolves. That's not, that's not really research. And so if. It, I, maybe I misunderstood, but it seemed to me that you were suggesting that while the party gets bogged down arguing about what they should do next, your piece of research was to go do something and see what comes of it. To go do something to get answers. Okay, that that is you can bring that, that is back not what to I the thought party. you were saying. You can, in in a lot of cases, you're going to bring that back to the party because you're not going to be able to take on that challenge on your own. Mm-hmm. And but, then you put that with the research. Then you take a look and compare that to the research but, that's happened. But if you so it seems to me like what you're talking about is not a more passive gathering information, but rather a more pointed going to explore something to see what's going on. I'd and that's probably a mix of the two. Yeah. And if it, that specific action is one failed skill check away from getting the whole party into and in, totally involved in whatever you chose to go explore. Well, you're researching the same thing. It, it, that, that's it, like it, a lot of cases it, you're researching the same research, thing. Calling that research is like saying, I want to research what's in the next room of this dungeon. I'm going to go kick down the door. And finding well, a cord behind I, I, it that overwhelms the party. It as a is it is somebody who plays a chaotic character most of the time, I see it more as applying the scientific method. I yes, see but the applying tr- the scientific method implies a distance from the test. When right. you are the test, there's no second option. I you don't the, get a control group. I see there the is trial no and save error. Right. I see the trial and error, but there has to be a point where we sit and we say, okay, we don't have an answer for where we're going next. And going off and doing something without having everybody on the same page is actually going to end up causing more problems later on. I agree with you. It's hard when we get to a point where it devolves into a conversation of what do we do? Okay, I agree with you. Out of character, there's sometimes I wish that we could just move on. Mm -hmm. But in character, a person would take the time to weigh the situation and the effect that it's going to have on them and not only them, but also the people around them. If I'm tied to my party in such a way that I care about them, I'm not just going to go run off and, and cause problems for them that they then have to clean up later. I'm going to take a measured decision and find the best solution that, which doesn't sound very chaotic. 
No. No. Well, and then not again, that's In lawful, fact, right? Let me offer uh, it. It's, neutral it's two even. different ne- neutral. Neutral well, even. It could be neutral. It neutral could be, be breaking okay the law. Either way. It, it, it could be breaking the law. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I'm not going to take risks for other people that take away their agency at the same time. Right. Um, so let me offer one one final thought based on this last <laughs> exchange that we've just had. <laughs> Uh, before I ask you guys a couple other questions that are not so pointed on our specific play style, um, <laughs> which is I, I do I do kind of feel that there's there's a difference in play style here that might be at the heart of this disagreement. And that is that some people who tend to play chaotic characters, Jamey kind of falls into this category and we've had other people in our group who fall into this category as well. Um, they are not as interested in the character development side of, of an argument, they're more interested in the character action. Um, and I think that that might be part of the, the disagreement as well. While we're having a big long argument that might take six hours. Some of that I think is because we enjoy that part. We enjoy the, the morality arguments. We enjoy the character development. We enjoy the trying to see who comes up with the best debate at the table to sway the party to their point of view. And that's all part of role-playing for them. Whereas I think maybe Jamey's on a different side of it where he doesn't want to be involved in that. He wants to be involved in the action sequences of it, which I think could be part of where this disagreement comes from. Absolutely. Just an observation. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think, and, and then as a DM, it's your responsibility to try to balance it so that everybody at the table gets something. Right. right. Gets a little of what they want. And I right. think that as party members, we also have a responsibility, no matter where you are on that spectrum, mm-hmm. to make sure that you're bringing it back to the party, making sure you're allowing everybody to kind of participate and not just running off, whether it be chaotic or lawful, running off in your own direction so much that everybody ends up having to follow you. So let me move this forward in. Um, we've been on this topic for a fair bit of time already, uh, but I did promise the cyclists that we would discuss uh, the great alignment debate in terms of the greater role-playing world right now. Um, so sp- specifically, I'm talking about some of the systems that have come out and said they are abolishing uh, alignments for races. They're abolishing uh, alignments in terms of many monsters or even um, characters when they start playing that alignment is not going to be taken under consideration anymore. Things that have existed in our world, such as the drow um, are no longer going to be an evil society, um, things like that because of the uh, cultural correlations that exist within our real world and the insensitivity that exists due to those things. Now I'm, I've said before, I'm pretty tried and true. I do believe a lot in the story and the mythos that has been created in the world. And I have a really hard time abandoning um, those mythos as a part of world culture or whatever it might be. I still feel like when I run across a party of drow uh, internally, I want them to be, you know, evil spider worshiping uh, dominatrix society um, that. I mean, because so much of our stories, so much of our our shared history as a gaming group has been built on what existed before. There's some truth to that. I I have to say, I actually uh, I think I lean more uh, in favor of, if not outright abolishing alignment, at least talking about it very differently Uh because and and I, I 
I think to that very same point you made about the drow, um, that, that yes, there's this sort of mythos around the drow, but I would be willing to bet you a significant sum of money that there have been more good aligned drow played as characters than oh. there have been evil. Oh, yes. Absolutely. Specifically, I'm going to go ahead and guess more chaotic good drow yes. than anything else. Yep. It's hard no, to turn I, down that dark vision. I absolutely <laughs> agree with you. And, and I think... I think a part of that, of course, has to do with the Arya Salvador stories Absolutely. and things like yes. that. But mm-hmm. also a large part of that has to do with the fact that it's much easier to play in a party as a good aligned character mm-hmm. uh, than it is an evil aligned character. Not always the case. Uh, but I think as it's it's more of the society that I'm talking about. Like, yes, I absolutely agree that there are exceptions to the rule. Um, and I've said I said this in my book and it may eventually get me canceled. I don't know. I don't think it's inaccurate to say that the Nazis were evil. Mm-hmm. Right. Totally. I just don't. I 100 percent think there's exceptions to the rule. And there were probably some who were wearing the uniform who were doing good things and were good people. Yes. Right. Absolutely. Right. And I think that I, I agree with you, Rob, because it's not we're not talking about that. The alignments inside the history of D&D and. Lovecraft and, and we're all of it based on it's a lot of it's culturally based. The alignments mm-hmm. were assigned based on actions made in the, in, in the culture yeah. itself. Drow, for example, if you look at the culture, I mean, slavery, torture, sacrifice. I mean, those would be things it's, it's not unfair to, it was not unfair at that time to say, okay, well, they are an evil society. And so then therefore maybe not at an individual level, Right. But as a society, you're going to walk into that and go, eh, I'm not too sure. It's like walking into a, a wolf's den. You know, you shouldn't walk into a wolf's den expecting not to be assaulted just because you you want to think of them as puppy dogs. You know, so here's what I'm here's what I'm going to counter argue that with that as evil, I think, objectively, as the Nazis were, um, I don't think they thought of themselves as evil. Right. Well, sure. Exactly. And so an alignment pulling themselves out of a depression, an alignment system that breaks things down in that clear set of axes, I think requires that the societies that are evil acknowledge that they're evil. And that is so very different from anything our world has experienced Mm -hmm. that I think it becomes very tricky to sort of deal with that notion of knowing that you are evil. Right. Sort of sociologically. Well, I mean, I've said many times that I think the best villains are the ones that believe they're the hero of their own yes, story. Absolutely. Yeah. Exactly. So, so I don't, I don't know that having the drow think of themselves as evil is necessarily particularly helpful. Right. I don't so, think no. it even so crosses their mind. I think, I think what is more helpful than an alignment system, good, evil, chaos, neutral, is some sort of um, statement of. Uh, of of belief, mm-hmm. a, a, a code, if you will. And that mm-hmm. code can be whatever it needs to be to describe that society sure. or that individual. I don't think mm-hmm. that um, and, and Pathfinder started moving towards this with their paladins a little bit in yeah. terms yeah. of allowing their paladins to worship 
gods who were not lawful good and to hold with that code of beliefs, right. yes. even if that contradicted what normally would be the paladin code. Well, they even right. came out with the gray paladin. Mm. Right. Sure. And, right. and and there's a whole, I mean, the paladins of tyranny from yeah. Unearthed Arcana, the, the, the rest of it. Um, I think what I'm suggesting is that more useful than a good, evil, chaos, neutral sort of axis um, is alignment restrictions that are based on a code of conduct. Mm -hmm. And so for a paladin, it's not about necessarily being lawful good. It's about following this specific ethos. And Mm -hmm. depending on where the paladin's coming from, it could be wildly different Mm -hmm. because I think the key to the paladin is to have a strict code and to need to follow it. Um, presents challenges that can be very entertaining and very interesting to grapple with in game. Right. Agreed. Well, and I don't know if even in game I would agree that the drow see themselves as evil. I think the I alignment... think that when you grow up in a when you grow up in a situation where you don't know any different. So here's here's the problem you, with that. And, though. In in their case, they're separated from the world as well. Yeah. Here's the problem with that though. Protection from evil affects their ability to attack somebody. Right. It, it is objectively impossible to deny that they're evil. So instead you have a society that has somehow come to accept that they're evil. Like that, that is just so totally foreign to anything human that I'm not saying it's, I'm not saying it's impossible. We have a game system that has a certain, has drawn the line morally in certain places. Mm -hmm. And if you violate those, if you, if there, there's a certain moral guideline to, to, to these games. But but if you, cross that line then the game assigns it as an evil action you don't necessarily have to do that but in order to create that protagonist versus antagonist um conflict in order to give the character something to do or to give the game purpose it's it it's necessary sure but conflict is necessary but i don't think conflict is necessary to break it out on an axis and especially not to be labeled good and evil. I think to uh, to this point is that we just had like this whole conversation and we can already see how a lawful good and a chaotic good character can already have conflict right. without necessarily labeling themselves. This is just solely based on what Nate's talking about in terms of how they act I and think, how they I think a chaotic good character can have immense conflict with another chaotic good character oh, yeah. depending on what they believe. Exactly. I think lawful good characters can have conflict with lawful with good other. characters exactly. depending on what they believe. So you so, don't even have to go as far as saying you're evil, you're good or whatever right, the case I, is. I just I don't I don't see what that adds to the game that couldn't be compensated for in other ways. Oh, great. That, that because I think Let's go ahead and touch on something a little bit, something a little bit touchy. Um, oh, that's always fun. <laughs> I think the problem specifically with the drow and their mythos and them especially knowing that they're evil is problematic because of some of the parallels that can be drawn to this world yes. uh, mm-hmm. and some of the religious beliefs that we deal with on a fairly regular basis, mm-hmm. especially in the United States. Right. Um, that you, I think you can have the same setup where you have cultural conflict mm-hmm. between nations that 
don't require a label to be placed on them. Agreed. So yeah, I'm going to agree with pretty much everything you've said. I don't mind that there's a different system. I don't mind a, a different way of looking at it. Yeah. What what does bother me is rewriting the history of the realms. Agreed. As saying that now slavery never existed in the world of the drow. But it did. Now, right. If if you're going to rewrite canon right. in such an extreme way and say, oh, no, no, dragons, red dragons aren't necessarily evil anymore. They're just red dragons. And But there's so I, much That's like saying I get to choose my eye color. I agree with it. that. I think that's just lazy storytelling to try and rewrite something to be completely different than the original. I don't have a problem with like remaking and put a little bit spin on an original story. But to completely change, just piggyback off an old story and completely change it completely and take away all of the history and everything that made it what it was. And, okay, the, the so drow are particular one that's thing. interesting to me because if you now are saying, no, no, the drow aren't really a slave society. They're not really dominatrixes. They're not really evil. You've invalidated Dritt's story. A hundred percent. And how they what, get where they now, are now. Now, I, mean, now, I, I you have to what rewrite a whole history. No, I don't. I don't think you do, though. I mean, I mean, I guess that's one way to handle it. And and if I got to be honest, I wasn't familiar with that particular uh, revision necessarily. But but I think you can absolutely still have a story where that is the drow society that maybe this one particular part of the world is familiar with. Mm-hmm. But maybe there was a big schism even after they went underdark, right. and maybe there's another drow society that might even be bigger than this drow society somewhere else in the world that that shares none of those characteristics i mean yeah i agree with that you can so so to require that drow be evil most of the time based on the alignment restriction not all even in the even in the monster's manual it says these creatures when they're usually usually chaotic evil evil or something like that but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're always that way but to rob's point of how politically correct are you going to be right right? um i i think it comes down to your session zero yeah you're right it comes it down does. to your session zero. Okay. What are your characters or your players willing to play in as part of your world? What are they willing to accept as the darker aspects of, of right. the background and the history of your world? Yeah, obviously you want everybody at your table to be comfortable. And if there's tropes and and cultural things that are going to disturb them and bother them, I'm not advocating no. you know, ruining somebody's day or ruining the way somebody feels at a table because of what's in the game. Agreed. You can always make the game fun and interesting. But – I, I do have a hard time of just sort of eliminating what happened before and saying, no, 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 we wrote all this, you know, millions and millions of pages of this information. And now it's irrelevant because slavery never existed in our world. Yeah, that that's that's sort of that feels revisionist that that fiat I'll I'll grant you isn't particularly helpful. But um, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and. Uh, as an apologist for uh, politically correct language, I'm going to say that I think that people can be offended by the material before they ever get to session zero. Right. And sure. you are going to go ahead and exclude an entire group of people based on those sensitivities, mm-hmm. based on their backgrounds. Sure. And and I think that's exclusionist in a way that that is not helpful to the gaming community. Right. I can agree to that. I'll agree to that as well. I think there are some themes of sexism and racism and things like that that have existed in the game that we should definitely seek to eliminate. I think, I think maybe it's a, it's a, 
what am I trying to say? It, it, it's a two-part thing. Dealing with sexism and racism and what, what, whatever, whatever sort of the topic du jour is, I think can be an engaging thing to do in character. Mm-hmm. But I think it's something that needs to be saved for when you are in character. It's that, that there is a whole level of privilege that is layered onto the gaming community mm-hmm. that is based on where the gaming community came from, right. which is... That's fair. A particular subset of this country, say back uh, at a time in this country when things were um, a, divided. a specific. Well, I'm actually going to say they were mm-hmm. a specific way for a certain privileged set of people who were most of the original gamers. Right. Mm-hmm. That's fair. Uh, And so there's unconscious assumptions that are kind of baked into the material and struggling with how to remove some of those biases, I think, is way more tricky, is way more tricky than just um, saying that's history as it was written in game. Well, and I and and I I think that I, I like that. I like being able to move past it. I agree with Rob, though, that ignoring history is not the right way of doing it. Sure, absolutely. Um, recognizing recognizing history in its truth, not in necessarily, obviously, um, in, in, in its truth, recognizing how it was written in its truth, and then choosing in-game to go ahead and move past that. But ignoring the history, all that, well, we all know that if you ignore history, you're you're bound to repeat it, right? Well, sure, but I guess what I'm saying is that um, the history we're repeating in this particular case is written by a very specific subset of people, and that if you look at actual history, it tends to be very differently viewed depending on who's telling the story. Right. And so that maybe maybe there is a revision in some of the material where you have an acknowledgement of some things that were done, but also maybe an acknowledgement of what was done to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so you have, you, you don't, you don't pigeonhole people quite so hard. Maybe there's a revision where this history of what happened to drive the drow underground is what was written by the elves but then you also have right. maybe a history of mm-hmm. what happened once the drow were driven underground that was written by the drow. And those two things don't have to agree. Right. Correct. No, exactly. I, I absolutely so re- agree with that. Rewriting- we look at, you look at the written history in both those situations and you compare it to the evidence that's available. And then you have the closest relation to the actual truth. And you're right on both sides. There's going to be discrepancies from where that middle ground is. What I'm saying is that I don't think – a, tr- a truth needs to be arrived at. What I'm saying is that it needs to be written such that there are multiple available truths. I like that. I, I disagree with that. I think available no, I- multiple available truths leaves. There should still be a based on the best information available on both sides okay, and the but, physical evidence available no, but I think what over you, what time. You guys there should be a consensus is, is of the truth. Jemay, because I think what you're saying is is in the story that you're in, there should be a truth that should be agreed upon. Yes, Nate's saying that the story, the building blocks don't need to have a specific truth to build Inside the story, story. from. Be- yeah, because let's say you take the the realm of Faerun, right. um, and it has all of this written sort of material behind it. Now, some groups have taken Faerun and they have 
um, sort of imposed their own history within Faerun upon that sort of story, but that's only within their gaming group. Right. Thank so you. that can be a truth for them. Right. But then that's the world that they built then, based on the foundation. That was right. What for were them. what Wizards of the Coast publishes as being that base background from which everybody else builds their stories needs to be written such that it is available to as many people as possible. Mm-hmm. And so that's where I'm talking about many truths right. because each group is going to come up with their own truth about what is happening in Faerun and having it written in such a way that the monster's manual says that drow are usually evil or almost always evil. That is imposing maybe something that sociologically and very personally, I think to some people is, is going to lead to them self-selecting themselves out of playing Dungeons and Dragons, and I don't think that's helpful. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. I that's think that, that there's a... That could happen. All right, let's... Uh, probably has. Move on to Tricks of the Trade. Tricks of the Trade. Wow, what a session we have had so far today. So let's... For today's Tricks of the Trade, because we've had so much contention and so much debate, I would like everyone to suggest a a method of compromise around the table when you're disagreeing. That, I think, could be useful to our listeners after such a contentious debate today. I'm going to need to think about that for a second. <laughs> <laughs> right. I think for me, the biggest thing, there, there, there are probably two small points that I would make on that. One is in-game, communicate with the other characters. I think that's huge. I think making sure that people know what's going on and not, regardless of what alignment you are, uh, making sure to communicate with the other characters and be open to negotiation. And uh, and another thing is because this is such a contentious subject and is leave it at the table. Mm-hmm. That's huge. Um, don't, I mean, we've been together. I've been part of this group for 11 years now. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, we've got one, two, three, three of the Nate, Robin, Kimothy are all original members. Um and I was blessed with being able to come with it. But that's one thing I always remember is just leave it at the table regardless because you don't want to be ruining your relationships outside of game. Along a similar line or perhaps on a wildly different line, depending on how you think about it, I guess I think communication out of character is mm-hmm. the most important because I think that sometimes sometimes intra-party conflict can be interesting to deal with, mm-hmm. that, that different characters have different ideals and they end up utterly at loggerheads. But the way to keep it, I think, from devolving into conflict out of character is to make sure that everybody at the table is sort of open about what they want from mm-hmm. the game and where mm-hmm. they're trying to go with their character and and what they're hoping to get out of it so that you can have that in-character conflict in a way that is healthy out of character. Right. Sure. Agreed. I think along those lines, I will give an idea, a suggestion to those who like to play chaotic characters. Um, so in this group, I think there's a couple of us who've, who've enjoyed some chaotic characters. Along with that line of communication, if you're at the point where you're like, I need to take action because I'm not invested right now, I'm not involved anymore, maybe just a quick conversation of saying, hey, look, here's what I want to do with my character, guys. Is it going to break the game if I go off and do that right now? Just a quick check in with everybody at the table and be like, look, I, I don't want to argue anymore. Here's what my character would do in this situation. Are you guys cool with that? And then go from there. And along that same line from a lawful perspective, because that's pretty obvious. I feel like that's what I tend to play um, or something very akin to it. Uh, Find 
find a place where your character would be okay compromising. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you have to let go of your own ideal to be able to move things forward and also use that kind of as a, hey, I did something for you. Come back and help me with something else at the same time. It's okay to negotiate in that way as opposed to just simply like we've talked about, no, this is what I'm going to do, or this is what the law says, or whatever the case is. Sometimes you have to let go of that. Right. I love it. Lots of communication and a lot of compromise. That's how groups stay together. (laughs) That is true. And I will say this to all the cyclists out there listening uh, to the show, despite the contention around the microphones (laughs) right now, despite the the bitter argument that this might have felt like we're all very close friends. We all show up and game with each other every week and we all enjoy the games that we're in together. Um, yes, there are these moments that are uh, more tense, but uh, leaving it at the table is something I think that we as a group are overall pretty darn good at. Right. And, and we, we have- enjoy each other's ideas and differences as well. I love the way that both Nate and Kimothy play their characters and what they bring to the game. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, I mean, it's fantastic part of what makes the game so great. Yeah. So don't be discouraged if you see us arguing about this or you fall on one side of the argument or another, it is absolutely possible to remain friends with people you don't agree with on every aspect and still have a fun gaming session. So thank you for listening to the show today. Cyclothids, please subscribe to the podcast, leave it a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. If you have any ideas or suggestions for future shows or you just want to reach out, send me an email. It's all one word, dungeonsdragonpsychology at gmail.com. And as always, check out my book, Session Zero, the DMG to writing great campaigns in any system. It is available on Amazon and there is a link to the book in the show notes. And we will all see you next session.